jack of all trades you name it. So if you go on our website, just about everything on the website I at least looked at, proofread, and or edited, and or all three. Um, so don't blame me. If you find a mistake, it's not mine. <laughs> right? Right. Come thank you. <laughs> thank you. Would you bow with me then for a moment? Almighty and most gracious God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable this day in your sight. For you alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things that your pastor did share with me uh, when she was asking me for what is my scripture going to be, what's my sermon going to be, right? Uh, she did tell me that there was a series, I think she's starting or has started whatever about names, right? And um, you'll see that on your bulletin cover. In fact, when I first saw it this morning, the first thing I did was reach there to try to peel off the name tag, right? Because I'm a visitor, you know, and that's what visitors, right? You know, all my name is, right? It's also a good thing to do for church members, you know, so everybody knows everybody's name. But, um, so, um, my sermon this morning is about a man in the scriptures who has a name that, at least for me, has been drilled into my head from a very, very young age. A man who gets a very bad rap in the scriptures, too, if you ask me. His name is Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Sounds like Bob, James Bob. But he's Thomas. Doubting Thomas, right? He wasn't with the disciples that first time that Jesus came and appeared to them. Remember, they were in the upper room. It was the first evening, Easter, right? It was Easter day. It was in the evening. All the disciples were gathered together in the upper room. The doors were locked. Except Thomas wasn't there, which the Bible doesn't say what he was out doing. Maybe he had his own hiding place. Maybe he had fled the town. Maybe he was so grieved by what had happened that day that he hadn't bothered to leave home. Things had just fallen apart. So when the news finally reaches Thomas that they have seen Jesus, that he's alive, Thomas's reaction, for me at least, is totally understandable. Something miraculous has happened. He's hearing the reports from his fellow believers that Jesus is alive. And he greets that with skepticism, with doubt. He says, I need to see it. I need to touch it before I will believe it. His skepticism, to me at least, is healthy. Skepticism is something that keeps us all alive. I mean, do you believe everything you read in the newspaper? <laughs> I say that because that you know I'm picking on myself because I added a newspaper. Right? Do you believe everything you read on the internet? Do you believe, thank you, do you believe that email that comes to you from a Nigerian prince that says, <laughs> give me your bank account number and I'll send you, you know, your laughter tells me you don't believe that, that you're skeptical that that's true, right? You doubt. 
you doubt. We all doubt. That healthy skepticism is what's kept us safe and alive as a species throughout history. I think it goes way back. It's in our DNA, in our genes, or whatever. I'm not a scientist, but I can imagine ancient human coming across a dead mastodon that's been rotting in the sun for five weeks, and it stinks to high heaven, and they say, should we eat that <laughs> or not? Well, if it smells bad, you probably shouldn't. You're skeptical, right? But Thomas gets this doubting name, right, because of his actions from John chapter 20. When I was a kid growing up in the church, Thomas was always held up as the example of someone not to be when it came to your life of faith. He was a loser because he doubted. He needed to see Jesus in the flesh and not only see him but touch him before he could really believe that Jesus is alive. Thomas lacks one thing. I was taught Thomas lacked one thing, faith. I was also taught that Thomas had one thing, and you didn't want that, doubt. What is doubt? Well, the dictionary gives us a very clear definition. It says it is, quote, to be uncertain about, to consider questionable or unlikely, to hesitate to believe or to distrust. Notice that one phrase, hesitate to believe. Does that not describe Thomas perfectly? He hesitated to believe when told by his disciples, fellow disciples. And what is belief if not also attached the word faith. See where I'm going here? If someone once said, the opposite of doubt is not certainty, but faith. I'm going to repeat that. The opposite of doubt is not certainty, but faith. It's almost like doubt and faith are two ends of the spectrum, right? They are separate. They are mutually exclusive. Never the twain shall meet. They would either have faith or you have doubt. And I was taught that doubt was bad. Faith good, doubt bad. Get it? It's that simple, right? <laughs> I'm going to challenge me and us on that this morning. Because what I want to say, what I want to offer you is the idea, the theology, right? That doubt is part of faith. That doubt is a component of faith. Here's why. Doubt is something expressed by all humans, is it not? Jesus, we Christians believe, was fully human and... Fully what? Divine. Fully human, fully divine. If Jesus was fully human, 
Jonah, that meant he doubted. Right? Remember the words that Jesus said on the cross? One of the phrases he uttered on the cross? He's hanging there in pain and agony. And out of that pain, he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Hmm. Did, did, did Jesus really believe that, that he was God forsaken? Did Jesus really doubt that God was about to redeem all this pain, suffering, and his impending death? That's what Jesus said. Sure sounds like it to me. I also want to lift up John Wesley. He's the founder of the Methodist movement in England in the 1700s, right? John Wesley had his moments of doubt, too. In 1738, he wrote about this in his journals. And if you ever want to spend a lifetime reading some fascinating thing, read John Wesley's journals. There's like 20,000 volumes of it, right? The man, if that man was alive today and had social media, we would probably say he's crazy because he would be posting all the time. He didn't, so he felt in 1738, March of 1738, he wrote a letter to one of his mentors in the faith, one of his best teachers in the faith, a guy named Peter Bowler, who was a German Moravian. Right? He wrote of his experience. Wesley wrote, quote, I was clearly convinced of my unbelief, and it immediately struck into my mind Leave off preaching. That's Wesley's words. Leave off preaching. In other words, stop preaching. Why? We know from other writings that Wesley was convinced that his preaching was not bearing fruit. His preaching was just void of any fruit. He wasn't connecting with the Spirit. He wasn't connecting the Spirit to the people. Just, and Wesley doubted that he should keep on going. And he asked Bowler whether he should stop preaching. Bowler responded, quote, By no means preach faith till you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. I would paraphrase that as fake it till you make it. <laughs> you ever heard that before? Fake it till you make it. Preach faith till you have it, and then when you have it, preach it. Keep going. Keep going. And therein lies the most important thing I want you to hear from me this morning. We all doubt. We all ask the hard question, why? I think we all do. But we can't stop there. We have to keep moving on in our spiritual life. I have an older brother, David. He's four years older than me. So that makes him 39. <laughs> yeah, 39. Um, he hasn't been to church in 40 some odd years. Why? Because when he was in high school and college, he doubted what the church was teaching. He's a scientist. He's a chemical engineer, retired from Dow Chemical. 
right? Very analytical mind. And when things didn't add up for him in the Bible, he doubted. And when he expressed that doubt, the leaders of the church, rather than trying to work with him and teach him and say, okay, you're, that's fine. You're bad because you doubt it. You're bad. And he stopped going to church the first opportunity. As soon as he graduated from college and left the nest, right? Stopped going to church and he hasn't been back since other than for funerals or weddings. He and I talk about this all the time. I mean, my goodness. I'm his brother. I love him dearly. I'm a pastor. <laughs> He's about as far opposite from that as you get. He, now, don't get me wrong, he doesn't worship Satan or anything. He just doesn't believe, right? We talk about faith all the time, though. And we talk about doubt all the time. And in those conversations, I try to teach him, try to tell him lovingly, look, faith and doubt aren't mutually exclusive. Faith and doubt are on the same path. Faith if you will, is a journey, right? And as Methodists, we're on a journey towards what Wesley called perfection, perfection in love, right? And on that journey, you're going to make a few wrong turns. You're going to hit a few bumps, right? Faith sometimes is way up here. You have this mountaintop experience, and life is grand and God is walking just right beside you. <clears throat> then there are other times when you're in the dark. Right? When God seems to have forsaken you just like Jesus said on the cross. Faith is a journey. And the only point for me when doubt becomes worrisome is when you get stuck in it. Like my brother. To be honest, this morning I'm feeling a little doubt. Yeah, preachers even get doubt. Preachers have faith and doubt at the same time. I'm feeling that this morning, and I'll tell you why. Yesterday morning, one of my favorite Christian writers, blogger, social media maven, Rachel Held Evans died. Uh, if you've not heard of her, you can Google her. She's all over the internet, especially today. She was 37 years old. She leaves behind a three-year-old and a nearly one-year-old and her husband, Dan. She died after going to the hospital just this past April 14th with what um, she described, I mean, she she wrote almost continually on Twitter and Facebook, right? She wrote that she was going to the hospital, kind of, ha-ha, I think I have the flu, and I hope I don't miss the next episode of Game of Thrones. That was her number one concern, is that she didn't want to miss that night's episode, right? She goes into the hospital, Blue-like symptoms, so they give her some antibiotics, and she has a reaction to the antibiotics. Her brain starts to convulse. They can't get it to stop. 
So they put her into a medically induced coma, and there she stayed until yesterday morning, when the doctors finally said there's no brain activity. So they disconnected her and she died. I'm asking myself, why? I mean, seriously, God, why? What good is this? I mean, she was reaching millions of people around the world, especially women, with her blogging, her faith-filled blogging, her books. If you've never read A Year of Biblical Womanhood, I commend it to you. Why? Have we not all been there at one time or another? If you've ever grieved the loss of a loved one, grieved the loss of whatever, you know that question, why? I lost my dad a year and a half ago. Why? I don't know. When I get to heaven, if I get to heaven, when I get to those pearly gates, when, if, maybe, who knows? I, I have faith. There are times when I doubt it. But I have that opportunity. I'm going to ask God a lot of questions. <laughs> Why did this happen? Here's a quote from Rachel Held Evans about diet, one that I first came across in 2010. Quote, I'm convinced that for the church to survive the information age, i.e. Twitter, Facebook, etc. It's got to stop teaching Christians to avoid doubt and start teaching them how to survive doubt. Now don't get me wrong, I do prefer certainty in my life. I love to know when things are going to happen, right? I, I mean, I know that uh, tonight I'm going to sit down and watch baseball at 8 o'clock when I have dinner at Chipotle, because that's what we do in our house every Sunday night. I like that certainty. Chipotle was closed on Easter. Did you know they closed on Easter? I did not know they closed on Easter. Right? That threw my whole life into a chaos, you know. Chick-fil-A, yeah, they always close every Sunday. Chipotle, they're not supposed to do that. So we do like certainty, right? But how do we survive doubt? How did Thomas survive doubt? He gives us a biblical example of how to survive doubt. Because you know there's going to be those moments when we are filled with doubt. Thomas stayed connected. That's how. Thomas stayed connected. Remember, that first Easter evening, the disciples are up in the room, upper room, right? Thomas ain't there. He gets the word later, and he dies. And he gets stuck with that name. But eight days later, after Easter, so that would be Monday, right? Which would be, what, <coughs> tomorrow? Thomas is back with the disciples. He's back in that upper room. He's still with them. And furthermore, they have let him come in. They have welcomed him back into the group. Right? My brother 
hasn't gone to church because he was told that doubt was bad. He didn't think he would ever be welcome back in church. So he stays away. I tell him to give it a try, you never know. And now he just jokes that the roof will cave in, right? You've heard that old song before. But I offer this as a serious question. What would happen if a member of this faith community, who hasn't been a part of this faith community for 20, 30, 40 years, but instead who has gone out and lived their life like the prodigal son? You know what I mean by the prodigal son, right? Spending all your money on wine, women, and booze, and then comes back. And then comes back. How would they be welcomed? Right? Notice I didn't say if they would be welcomed. How would they be welcomed? How would you welcome my brother if he walked down this aisle and sat down here? Right? <coughs> Stay connected. Stay connected. Often when we feel doubt, we feel unworthy or not good enough, that our faith just doesn't measure up to the people that we should be. Fine. Just don't use that as an excuse to stop coming to church or to stay connected with others who can help nurture your faith journey. There is no shame and doubt. Jesus did it. John Wesley did it. I do it. You do it. It's what it means to be human, partly. So here's the good news. We can stay connected because there's another name for Jesus. We sang a hymn about Jesus, something about that name, right? What is another name that we give to Jesus? Can you think of any? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Bread of Life, Emmanuel, that's the one I want to talk about. Emmanuel. You've heard of Jesus referred to as Emmanuel? What does Emmanuel mean? God what? God with us. Right? God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. It means that God is with us in the hospital room, in the courtroom, in the funeral home, in your bedroom, here in this church. Everywhere. Scripture also says we cannot flee heights or depths. God is with us. In our fights, in our struggles, in our sleepless nights, in our arguments with our boss, our spouse, our children, God is with us. In our faith and in our doubt, God is with us. There's nothing we can do to separate us from that. And of that, I have no doubt. Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Almighty and most gracious God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be with us, to be you with us. And through him and the power of your Holy Spirit for constantly reaching out and seeking to bring us to connect us to you and your love. 
Connect us to the power of that spirit so that we might live that life that you have called us to One of faith, love, laughter, and abundant life. Help us remember that no matter where we go, even in those moments of doubt, you haven't let us go. And never will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we'll do joys and concerns. Do we have a microphone to pass around? Is that where perfect? This is a time when we can offer our thoughts, our joys and concerns.